Hey there, and welcome to the Jimmy's Table podcast at jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey. I'm curiously evangelical, politically homeless, and a dreamer of small things. On this podcast, I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. So if you have honest questions, aren't afraid to have difficult conversations, and want to have a little fun along the way, then pull up a chair. This podcast is for you. So today's episode 152 of the jamiestable.com podcast, and I'm going to talk about what hell is like. I know, heavy topic, not exactly a fun one, but I thought it was something of necessity to talk about. One, because it's not frequently talked about much these days. Two, there's a lot of misconceptions about hell. Um, And three, I think it's one of those things that your view of hell kind of acts as a mirror of sorts of your theology and and what exactly you think about God. And you could ask, well, what Jimmy kind of spurred this idea of bringing up hell on your podcast? You know, this is supposed to be a somewhat fun podcast, right? Well, usually it is. um, And there's no bones about it. There is no fun way to talk about hell, um, at least in such a way that would actually give uh, service to the gravity of the topic. Um, It would be just a total, you know, just, it'd just be a total mistake to talk about it in sort of a lighthearted, funny manner because, well, frankly, there is no issue of perhaps more severe importance um, from the topic of hell, and the repercussions of of hell are something to take with total sobriety. Um, and you might ask, well, why why this topic? And you know, I've been last week. I've I've had a lot going through my heart and mind. Um, talked about it a little bit in the podcast uh, last week, and I've just been doing a lot of thinking, a lot of reflecting, um, thinking of. Uh, you know, the past year and some other times in which I've suffered greatly and just some things that are weighing on my heart now, um, not only with my personal life, but, um, you know, just, just seeing what's happening in the world even. You have the, the economy and, and, you know, just being battered. You have food shortages. You have inflation. Um, you have uh, a, a terrible war between Russia and Ukraine. Um, you have controversies surrounding abortion, and you have a lot of political turmoil going on and definitely going to be heating up over the next year or two, especially as we go into the election. So in many ways, there's some pretty heavy topics that kind of beg the question, uh, if you ever saw the TV show, The Good Place, is this The Good Place? Mm, no. Um... And, you know, it, it kind of sits there and reflects that, you know, to some degree we, we get a very much a, a taste of hell on earth. And I think that taste of hell on earth through sometimes the sufferings that we uh, experience, the loss that we experience, the grief that we experience, the pain that we go through, the tragedy, the loss, the destruction, the misery, um, the loss of human life, and, and all those things that on earth make for, you know, what really amounts to kind of 
sometimes a hellish existence. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, I think many of us are, are very blessed, and I, I don't want to overstate the condition of the world right now. Um, you know, as, as for all the troubles we might have in the world right now, there's still a lot of amazing good things out there. But there's definitely still, even in the midst of all the amazing good things that are out there in this world and in this life that are uh, blessings from the Lord and, and goodness that we can experience in the here and now, there's no doubt that there's some just troubling things that happen in our lives, troubling things that happen in this world that defy all explanation, that defy all rationale. Um, and I believe ultimately owes its existence to the fact that uh, there is indeed a hell. Um, so before we get much further into it, I just want to read a passage of scripture that has kind of stuck in my mind and I want to use it as kind of a backdrop for today's conversation. Um, and I think there's another passage we'll look at, but we'll, we'll start from here. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and onward. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and there they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Heavy stuff. Heavy stuff. You know, it's it's so easy these days for it to be fashionable to to kind of scoff at and dismiss the doctrine of hell. Um, especially, you know, the, the idea of uh, eternal conscious torment that gets you know that gets a pretty good kick in the shins every now and then, especially by those who are deconstructing. And they ask some sincere questions and and, and, and thinking about the doctrine of hell and and eternal conscious torment of well like a fire, everlasting punishment. How, how could a loving God do such? That just seems so out of character of a loving God and what we read about in the Bible. And usually to such answers, especially from the evangelical tradition in which I am steeped, and the Pentecostal tradition from which uh, my blood uh, pumps, traditional answers surrounding divine justice and retribution, against sinners who love their sin, you know, and the things we hear about people who go to hell and why they go to hell, you know, frankly, just don't seem to add up at some level. And no matter how technically correct such doctrines might be and the conclusions that might be reached when we do an extracted uh, close study of the scriptures, you know, just to look over the passages about hell, and to think about hell in, in light of the concept of God's character and the gospel message. You know, I get it. The doctrine of hell, the concept of hell, just doesn't make a lot of sense to people. 
especially in light of the death of Jesus on the cross where God makes atonement for sin and forgives mankind for their sin, you know, it's very reasonable to say, well, Jesus died. And if Jesus died, how therefore could men suffer everlasting torment forever and ever? That just doesn't seem fair in light of the cross. Didn't didn't Jesus take our punishment? Didn't he take the, the sinner's place? Didn't he receive God's wrath on our behalf? And no matter how egregious and numerous our sins might be, we, we sit there and question and think, well, how does everlasting punishment end up being justified for the finite number of sins that I have committed? Especially when we consider the many metaphors and images used to describe hell in the Bible. It's not a pleasant picture. It's a place of fire and brimstone, a place of darkness, a place of isolation and loneliness where you're considered forever outside the city of God, away from the presence of God and all the rest of humanity. It's a place where it says the Bible that the worm dies not and and you are cut off from paradise. Hell is described as a, a fiery garbage pit and ultimately a place of destruction. Hell is so bad, the Bible never sticks to one metaphor about it. And I think when we talk about hell, you know, we need to recognize that there is this idea of multiple metaphors um, that are used to describe hell. And and I I know one theologian who said that, you know, all the the different metaphors that are described in the Bible, um, you know, to describe hell is, is because hell is greater than any punishment or torment or agony that we might possibly imagine with our minds. Whatever the worst sort of sufferings of hell that we can suffer in hell, hell's still yet worse than anything our minds are ultimately able to conceive. So, no wonder we recoil at the idea of hell. Surely no amount of sins could ever justify men spending eternity in torment. This, is, this argument, got to admit, let's just be honest, it's attractive, and I understand its appeal. You know, no matter how correct your theology might be on this subject, the math just doesn't seem to add up in our hearts. And as a result, we might doubt the theology of hell altogether, no matter how clear the scriptural evidence is for such a place in the Bible. And while I think there's certainly a careful, or there's certainly a place for the careful study of all the different passages that talk about hell and trying to compare them to one another, the different metaphors and the reasons why people go to hell and the duration of hell and debates around just the nature of, of everything. Lately, as I've been wrestling through some pretty heavy things regarding this world and some things in my heart and some things in my life, and I observe the lives of others and the things happening in my life and the world, I just feel in my heart that I've kind of had this sort of painful revelation of what hell is and why it doesn't sit well in our hearts. I believe it's ultimately because our hearts... At the end of the day, we object to hell and any description of hell, any metaphor of hell, because our hearts at the end of the day, they're probably just 
not where they should be. There's something in our hearts that kind of has this bent towards being a little bit on the sappy and sentimental side, a little self-righteous maybe even, and, and we just sit there and scoff at the idea of hell and, and our hearts, you know, at the end of the day, I think they just don't see, feel, or understand as they should. And as a result, they cloud our vision in spite of correct theological judgments about maybe what hell is based off, you know, an assortment of proof texts of passages of scripture mixed with, you know, some interconnecting ideas. But at the end of the day, I think it ultimately boils down to we have a problem with hell. One, not only because it's beyond our ability to even imagine. And I think if you ever get the idea that you've got hell figured out and you can put hell in this nice little box that makes hell not such a horrific place, then I think if you've gotten to that place where you can compartmentalize hell, you know, you should really ask some questions about yourself. The idea that you could put hell in a box and compartmentalize it so that you know, it's kind of like this thing that you can just push out of your mind and not consider that big of a deal. You know, maybe this is a lot about you. <laughs> Do you ever think about that? For those of you who want to minimize the doctrine, and in and, 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 and fairness, those who want to maximize the doctrine to, to some degree, like I, I think of the, the heavy, sweaty Baptist preacher who's pounding the, the pulpit and say, you're going to hell, bless God, and... and sound excited about it. Both the person who wants to minimize hell and the person who gets just a little too preach happy about hell. I worry about both. I worry about both, that both men, both women, who, who hold such views on the nature of hell, their heart's just not in the right place. And it doesn't truly reflect what God's heart does about the doctrine of hell. Yes, the doctrine of hell is offensive even to Christians. Because we simply, I think, at the end of the day, we focus on the wrong thing. We're too busy thinking about hell and how awful it is. When I think instead of focusing about how hell is such an awful place, we should instead be enraptured by the beauty and glory, and splendor of a joyful and loving God, and how wonderful He is. You know, I'm reminded of um, the call of Isaiah the prophet, uh, Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah um, recalls this vision that he had that brought, that, in which God called Isaiah into ministry. In Isaiah chapter 6, it reads, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. And seraphim stood above them, each having six wings, two with, with two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled in the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. 
for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with them and said, Behold, he has touched your lips and your iniquities taken away from you and your sin is forgiven. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall we send? Whom shall go for us? And I said, Behold, here I am. Send me. And that was Isaiah's call. Isaiah had a marvelous vision, not unto like maybe to some degree the vision we, we read about in Revelation 20. I, I personally see some parallels there. We see in Isaiah chapter 6 of, of the angels you know, surrounding the Lord in all his glory and all his splendor, showing his triumph over an evil king of Israel who had defied God, and God ultimately struck him dead. And then this year, the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. As if there was some sense of God's vindication over that of Uzziah's death. And Isaiah, the prophet, was so taken by the vision of God in which he saw the angels flying around the Lord, who the angels who couldn't even look unto the holiness of God. They, they, they took their wings and covered their eyes with them, yet they were so overwhelmed by God and his beauty and his glory and his splendor and his holiness that even though they did not even dare look upon him, they still cried out, holy, holy, holy. But then Isaiah was permitted to see the thing that the angels weren't even able to see. And he saw this, and he instantly had a revelation about himself. He saw the goodness and glory and holiness and majesty of God, the love of God and everything that God is and God's nature. And he saw it. He said, I am a man of unclean lips. Live among a people of unclean lips. I am undone. The instant he received a glimpse of the beauty and the splendor of God and who God is in himself, Isaiah was finished. And this produced in Isaiah what I believe the Apostle Paul would identify as a godly sorrow. It's a sorrow that sees the beauty and the splendor of God and all the goodness of God and everything that God is and all, all that God offers the world. And it's an eye that has seen that and then turns to the world and sees the destruction that we've sown. And it weeps over a world where things are not as they ought to be. A world where the knowledge of the glory of God is supposed to cover the world as the seas. But instead we find something else altogether. As saints, we should weep over the things that aren't, but could be. We should carry about us this godly sorrow. It's a heart that breaks with the heart of God, longing for a world in which things ought to be 
a certain way. It's our longing that this Romans 8 and other passages talk about where all creation groans for the shalom of God and the world. But it's a shalom, a peace that has been destroyed. And that should grieve us. And I believe in hell, you know, one of the metaphors also that the Bible uses that really just sticks out to me as I pondered hell this week. It says we read of a weeping and gnashing of teeth. And a lot of people have thought, well, that's probably because the fire is so hot it burns the skin for eternity and men will cry the tears of misery of agony from the burning of their flesh. And I used to think this myself. I can remember standing outside on a very cold fall winter night once and it was just freezing outside, but there's a large campfire where I was at and I was able to get close to the fire so as to warm me, but I got, I got really close and I got so close that it dawned on me while I was sitting there at this fire that, you know, I could feel the, the hair burning off my knuckles because I was so close to the fire. And it dawned on me as I thought at that time about the metaphors of fire and brimstone in the Bible. And I just, you know, was so encaptured by, you know, like, wow, this, this singes my flesh in a little bit and it stings, it burns. And I want to pull away from this fire that has, you know, burned the hair off my knuckles. <laughs> And I thought, wow, that's, that's a pretty grimsly picture of hell to imagine hell as fire. But you know, sitting here thinking about Isaiah, sitting here thinking about the judgment that we read of in Revelation 20, don't get me wrong, the, the, the metaphor of, of fire is, is powerful, it's profound, and it's something we should not treat lightly. But this idea of weeping, gnashing of teeth, I don't think that comes so much so from the idea of the agonies of flame. But it's going to be a profound weeping and sorrow, a gnashing of teeth. It's going to be a grief. It's going to be a misery. It's going to be a misery because on that day in judgment, we will instantly be given a glimpse of the beauty and the glory of God and the shalom and the way things could be. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20 that on that day when we're all standing naked before God for judgment, that in that moment all heaven and earth shall flee. Nothing will be able to stand in God's presence. There will be nothing between him and our eyes and him and our hearts. And we will know all in that moment profound beauty and love and joy and glory like we've never known. We will know God in a fullness of a revelation that humanity has yet to see, and it will be such a revelation that the natural elements of the world will just vanish. Heaven and earth, heaven and earth shall flee, it says. 
And I believe it's in that moment that those who aren't found in the book of life and that those who are conscribed to be tossed into hell forever with the devil and his angels, I believe the weeping and the gnashing of teeth that men will experience through all eternity will be because they will be cast into a place away from the presence of God, away from the source of all love and joy and goodness and everything that is right with this world. And there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth because they could have known for eternity the love and the joy and the peace that they could have participated in. But they shall forever be cast away from that. And in hell, they will grieve. And they will know a sorrow that is greater than that of any flame. And they'll know it forever and ever. And it's that which will cause them an anguish of soul for which there will be no relief for all eternity. They will enter into an unending grief, a grief that comes from our humanity that was created in the image of God, forever lamenting how wrong things were in our lives, what they could have been, and the joy that we could have entered into for all eternity. And that will weigh our hearts down and crush everything that makes us human. At the end of the day, we need not understand hell as this Dante's Inferno type place. I think we should understand hell as a place of darkness and sorrow where we go forever to experience eternal heartbreak. And because we are no longer able to indulge and the lust of our flesh, and because we'll forever be away from the presence of He alone who can satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts, we'll force to live forever away from the ultimate source of love, joy, and beauty. And that is ultimately hell. I'd like to close by reading this quote from Tim Keller in his book, The Reason of God. Tim Keller observes thinking of hell, interestingly enough, in relational terms, a concept that I hopefully have conveyed to you in, in this podcast today. Tim Keller says, Modern people inevitably think hell works like this. God gives us time, but if we haven't made the right choices by the end of our lives, he casts our souls into hell for all eternity. As the poor souls fall through space, they cry out for mercy, but God says, too late, you had your chance, now you will suffer. This is ultimately a character that misunderstands the very nature of evil. The biblical picture is that sin separates us from the presence of God, which is the source of all joy and indeed all love, wisdom, and the good things of any sort. And since we were originally created for God's immediate presence, only before his face will we be able to thrive 
flourish, and achieve our highest of potentials. To lose the presence of God in its totality, as we would in hell, that would be hell. The loss of all of our capability of giving or receiving love or joy. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com, episode 152. What will hell be like? Hope I've given you something to think about today. And if I have, I'd love your feedback. I'd love for you to email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com, or you can reach out to me on Facebook and Twitter. If you go to jimmystable.com, you can find links to Twitter and Facebook on there and, and ways to reach me through there. But like I said, email jimmy at jimmystable.com. Um, and if you've enjoyed this podcast, heavy as it was, uh, you can go to jimmystable.com slash subscribe and you can find your favorite way to subscribe, whether it's through Apple, Spotify, Google, or even old fashioned email newsletter. Um, and, and if you've not had the opportunity yet to leave a five star review about this podcast, you can do that at places like Apple and Spotify where you can leave your glowing five-star review. And I understand that might be a hard sell to sell you today when I talk about hell. You might be like, well, I don't, I don't really like this podcast. This is some pretty heavy stuff. I don't think I'll be back. I don't think I'll leave a positive review. Um, <laughs> so my friend, I, I understand. Um, maybe today's not the episode you leave a five-star review. But everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com, where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. Take care, everybody. God bless. Have a good one. That's all I have to say about that. That's the right on, man. You said it all. <laughs>